this morning, uh, we're going to look at Acts 2. I ask you to bring your Bibles because of this. This is kind of the time in this teaching where we're going to start giving you, uh, basically, we're going to be reading quite a bit of Scripture to the point that I can't put it all up on the screen. Number one, my guys back there would like revolt on me, and two, it's just, it's just too much to ask in them. So Acts chapter 2, we're at a place where we're going to see the difference that the Holy Spirit makes. It was only... <laughs> It was, it was a morning like no other mornings, and it's only 9 a.m. I mean, you think about it, if you know the story. The crowd had gathered around because something had happened in the upper room. Something had happened that was so different that now they're asking the question, what is this? What's, what's taking place? They don't have an explanation as to, to what is happening. But if we know the Word of God, we recognize that 50 days prior to this day, Jesus Christ rose from the grave. How many know greatest event ever in mankind other than the creation, right? Because he rose from the grave, proving he had power over death, hell, and the grave, and we benefit by that and gives us life. Over 40 days since then, he'd been appearing. In fact, the Bible says he appeared to over 500 people and gave convincing proofs that he was alive. It wasn't a little, uh, you know, conspiracy among 11 followers. Over 500 people had seen the resurrected Savior. And during the time he was walking around as the resurrected Savior, he gave instructions to those who were closest to him, to his disciples, the apostles, those who had seen his miracles, who had heard his teaching, that they were to wait in Jerusalem until they received the promised gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which he said, you have heard me speak of. In fact, before he died on the cross, uh, he had taught them while he was walking around fully God, fully man, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He had taught them, and you can go read John's Gospel, John chapter 14 through 17, that there was this one that was going to come known as the Holy Spirit that he called the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth. Elsewhere, he called him the Helper. Elsewhere, he was called the Comforter. But he was very clear that they were to wait on this gift from the Father who would literally guide their lives. He would teach them all things. He would remind them of the words Jesus said. He would correct them because he would be the one that convicts them of sin. He was basically telling them, listen, gang, don't try to live out the Christian life without the power God has for you to live out that life. And we saw that in the previous weeks, and he promised to empower them to witness. But what he was doing was this. He was reminding them that I have chosen you. Guys, how many know it feels good to be chosen, right? He says, I have chosen you to take this ministry I've shown you, and now by the same power that I, I work my ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, now to go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things. And oh, by the way, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. And now to us on this side, he is saying, I have chosen you to be that witness in this generation of the goodness and the glory of our God, but... The same command as to us, but wait until you receive the power from on high. Wait until you experience the power of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And on the Pentecost day, on the 50th day, in the upper room, we read a few weeks ago, there was a sound like a rushing wind. Not a rushing wind, but a sound like a rushing wind. On this day they were celebrating the giving of the law, God showed up in a big way to remind them that law that was written on tablets was now going to be written on their hearts. It was going to be a living God in them. And there was a like tongues of fire, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them evidence and literally the nations heard their languages glorifying God. In fact, over 14 different languages were spoken on that day by these by these men who had followed Jesus. And the question from the crowd was, aren't they Galileans? In other words, they were saying, we know these guys. 
they're not high on like the, they don't have like three degrees and four doctorates and, and they're just, they're not from a region that's known for the, for the uh, academia. They were fishermen. They were ordinary common men. So they came up with an excuse for them. They said, well, they must be drunk. <laughs> they must be drunk. What does this mean? If they're going to give us this, there must be something else going on. So here, Peter steps up and he begins to teach a lesson that I want us to see today of the difference the Holy Spirit makes in our lives. Now we're caught up, week five in our study, the book of Acts. Father, help us today, God, to let this word speak to us. God, help us not to, God, drift off into what's going to be happening later today or whatever else is around us, God. Father, we showed up today, God, because we desire to be brought into your presence and worship, to allow your Holy Spirit to make your word come alive in us and give us hope for both now and the days to come and to call us, God, Lord, to walk in your way. So, Father, today, I pray for those online, those on the patio, those inside today. God, let us have a focus, God, in this moment. To let your word speak to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Acts chapter 2, verse 14. I've given you the history. I've given you what's taken place up to that moment. You can kind of see what's happening there. You can picture the, the tension they're saying. What does this mean? What is going on here? And the scripture tells us, verse 14 says, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. Now, if you know anything about the disciples, in that moment, I can see the other remaining 10. Because remember, they were down to 11. Judas uh, you know, denied Christ and went out and took his own life. We, now they're down to 11. But I remember, the, I can see the other 10 going, oh, no, anybody but Peter. I mean, come on, Really? You know, here's this grand moment where God is moving and they're, 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 they're filled with the Holy Spirit and power. They've been worshiping God. And the one who's been known for sticking his foot in his mouth over and over and over again steps up and says, it's okay, guys, I've got this. And they're all like, oh, shoot. John, we've been okay with. John's pretty eloquent. In fact, he thinks Jesus loves him better than anybody else anyway. But Peter, come on. But Peter, being Peter, does what Peter does. He steps up. He's always been the first to jump in. He's always been the first to speak, sometimes without thinking. Anybody give a witness to that? He was always good about, about having something good to say, but quite often he got it all wrong. And they're probably thinking, here we go. We're going to die today. He says, these people, verse 15, they're not drunk, as you suppose. It's only 9 in the morning. No, this is what is spoken by the prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2, you can go read that on your own time. Yes, it was a day of celebration. Yes, in that culture, there would be some liquid refreshment later that had a little kick to it. Yes, it was something that would be expected, but not nine in the morning. It would have been sacrilege. It would have been taboo in that culture to be drinking in that moment. So Peter's like, they're not drunk. This is not what you suppose. He says in verse 17, he said, in the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I'll show you wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And... And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And they're going, Peter, what's gotten into you? 
I mean, that's good. I mean, come on, where, where is this coming from? I mean, Peter, you're the one that's always like stumbling over your tongue here and putting your foot in your mouth. This is good stuff. And what he's saying to them is this. He says, listen, this shouldn't surprise you. Speaking to the Jewish audience. He says, you know the Old Testament, you know the Old Testament prophets, you know the Old Testament prophecies, that one day in what was known as the last days, God promised to pour out his spirit and what we've been waiting for, it's the day of the Lord, it's the day of the Messiah. In other words, he was saying to them, according to the Old Testament, look, there's a promise of the coming of the Messiah. It's referred to as in the last days because you've always had, you already have had the days of the law, you've already had the days of the priests. You've always already had the days of the kings. You've already had the days of the prophets. But now in these last days, the Messiah will come and his reign will last forever. He said, listen, guys, the last days are here. The last days, although conclude in the day of the Lord, that's when the fire and the billows of smoke and all the, the graphic apocalyptic kind of messaging that Joel was speaking about. He says, there's going to be a last day before Jesus physically returns for the last time to bring both judgment and salvation. This is not that day, but in the last days, he said this would happen, what we've seen here. Why does it surprise you? The Spirit of the Lord has been poured out as Joel prophesied would happen in the time of your Messiah. This is the Spirit of God. This is the time of the Messiah. Now Peter had their attention. Now they're, they're, they're listening, they're, they're, they're leaning in a little bit, and they're like, this kind of makes sense. But how do we miss the Messiah? He's like, I'm glad you asked. He goes on. Fellow Israelites, verse 22. Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. Now, when we talk about the miracles of Jesus, like we have to go back in the Gospels, and I have to teach you the context and what was happening and what all took place. And we, we kind of explain them because guess what? We weren't there. But this crowd he's speaking to, he says, look, you've heard of what Jesus did. Some of you were there. Some of you saw the blind eyes open and the lame man now dancing and leaping. And, and well, you've seen the miracles of God. I don't have to tell you about them. I don't have to explain them to you because you were eyewitnesses or you knew somebody would have, had been there. It's only been 50 days. It's only been 50 days from the empty tomb. For the last three years, you knew of Jesus, but you still don't get what was going on? Verse 23, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it is impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Here's what he's saying to them. Guys, look, Jesus came to Jerusalem as the promised Messiah, and oh, by the way, you killed him. Now, if I was the other disciples, I'd be taking a step back from Peter right now. It's like, buddy, you got it going, so finish it. You know, you, you dove in, so go right ahead, Peter, go on ahead. But, but, he says, you killed the Messiah, but it's not your fault. In fact, this is what God had planned all along. It was his plan, not your plan. You thought you were doing the world a favor, but it was his plan for Jesus to die on the cross and rise again on the third day. And finally, the crowd goes, oh, we get it now. We've been wanting someone to explain the empty tomb. It had been 50 days, and nobody could explain how 11 fishermen or 11 teachers somehow overwhelmed the Roman army and stole a body in the middle of the night. No one could explain that. The Romans hadn't explained it. The, the leaders in the church had not bothered to explain it. There, there was no, they, they didn't want to touch it because they were, they were afraid to say that, you know what, what he said he was going to do, he actually did. And doesn't our Lord have a way of doing that? Amen. 
So they're, they're in this place, and, and Peter's got their attention. They're starting to make sense to them. Now maybe the disciples are moving back up because the stones have not started flying. And Peter goes on, and he brings out the big guns. I mean, he wasn't satisfied with quoting Joel. No, he's going to bring David into this conversation. Verse 25, he said, David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Peter says, look, I've told you what the prophet said, but let me tell you what your greatest king of all times had to say about this day. For since David, all of, all of Jerusalem, all the Jewish people had been longing for a, a true king, one who would come and, and kick the Romans out, one who would come and give them identity again. That's why on the, on the grand entry into Jerusalem on the Palm Sunday, they were calling out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And what they were hoping for was not a savior to die on the cross. They were hoping for a king who would kick out the Romans. But Jesus had a kingdom to represent that was greater than just a moment. He had a kingdom to represent that was full of power to save us and give us hope and for us to see all nations have a chance to be blessed by him. See, David was the greatest of all kings, but this is what he said about the coming Messiah. Verse 26, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, and you will not let your Holy One see decay. You've made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. And Peter stops, and he says, fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. We can go see it afterwards if y'all want to go do that. He's, he's saying, look, he's died, but he was a prophet. And he knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on the throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received what the Father has promised, the promised Holy Spirit, and poured out what you now see and hear. He says, look, we are witnessing what David prophesied. It is not a matter of the prophets. He says it's also the greatest king of all time pointed to this day. And you still missed it. You still didn't see it. For David did not ascend, verse 34, to heaven. Yet he said, coming out of Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now let's just go a little logical because, again, remember this is Peter. This is, this is the one that I'll show you later just had a bad habit of saying the wrong thing. Man, he's nailing it. Prophecies, word of God, greatest king there ever was. And here's what he basically said to them. How is it then that David referred to Jesus as God unless he was really God? Man, the verdict came down. You thought you killed a cult leader. You thought you took out this leader of this, this that it was, it was not, not satisfying to you because he was, not a, he was not a man like David. He wasn't a man that, that carried the room when he walked in. He wasn't a man who promised great military victory. He wasn't the one who was going to kick out the Romans. You thought you killed this Jesus, but can I tell you who you killed was the Messiah. You killed what God had promised. You killed the very one who'd come to set us free. Man, what got into Peter? Boldness, right? What got into Peter? The word revealed what got into Peter. 
the life flowing out in ways that were convicting men to the heart. What got into Peter? I can tell you what got into Peter. It got into Peter was the Holy Spirit of God got into Peter. That very promise of the Father is now in this man, and everything changes. And the results are seen in verse 37. It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Now, I'm, I'm a little jealous in this moment. I've preached a lot of sermons over the years, but I've never spoke for basically 10 minutes and someone goes, enough, enough, don't say anymore. Mike, what do we need to do? We're going to come down and repent. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? You're like, well, why do you preach for 40 minutes? Because it takes you a little longer, okay? It's just just the reality of who we are. But he tells them. He says, repent. Don't just feel sorry for yourselves. They're feeling bad. We killed the Messiah. What are we going to do? He says, repent. Don't just just sit back and say, oh, I got to tell everybody I'm sorry. No, he says, repent. You got to do a 180 with your lives. You've lived as if God, as if Jesus were not God, but he is. So guess what? Now you need to start living like he is God. That's repentance. You live like everything's on yourself and your own strength, your own power, your own goodness. And God says, repent. You need to live as if Jesus is everything in your life and as if the power of God living in us is what makes life happen. Peter replied, verse 38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you have something to underline, underline that phrase, because listen to this. The Holy Spirit is a gift to all, not a reward to some. Come on, somebody. He says, repent, you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Man, talk about an altar call. Talk about a baptismal service. Most I've ever baptized in one service was 50, and about a halfway in, I'm thinking, we need to change this water. But there are 3,000 people. Can you imagine? 3,000 on this one day. Peter, this, this fisherman, Peter, this man who'd been with Jesus, Peter, the, even the other disciples that knew him best, wished he had not been talking, stood up and gave one of the most powerful messages that's ever been around. That's what happened. For us, we look at that and say, well, what do we do with that? That's a lot of scripture. Thank you, Mike, for the history lesson. What do we do with that? Well, I think the obvious answer is this. If we've been living like Jesus Christ is not Lord of all, then we need to repent. That's the obvious, right? Right. If we've been living like we got it, thank you, God, thank you for salvation, I'll handle it from here, then we need to repent. Because we're basically nullifying the power of the cross, and we do that, and we're not receiving the gift of the Spirit in our lives to make any impact whatsoever. But I believe today what I, what I want to do in this scripture, and this is kind of a pattern we're going to do on through the book of Acts. We'll talk about what happened, but we have to look at it, how it's applied to us today. Because I don't know about you, but a history lesson has never changed my life. But an encounter with God does. And there's some things I want you to see in this that I think speak to us right here, right now, where we live. It will take the moment by just taking time to look at the one who stood up and gave the message. Now, as pastors, we, we like to joke about Peter because he's kind of that every guy, right? I mean, he's the one people can relate to. He's not, he doesn't like the halo over his head. He doesn't do things, everything perfect. He's, he's, he's like us. He'll, he'll do some great things, but sometimes, man, he just kind of blows it and it kind of speaks a lot to us. 
But there's something about Peter that I want you to see. We're going to kind of look back in some of the stories about him. We're not going to read all of them. Again, it won't be in 40 minutes if we do all that. But I want you to see the difference that the Holy Spirit makes, not just in Peter's life, but in your life and mine. I want us to be open to the understanding that when God said, wait, he meant it. When Jesus taught his disciples, apart from me, you can do nothing, he meant it. One of the the things that keeps Christianity powerless in our day is our Western culture says, okay, God, we've got it, we'll take it from here. And now we've got all the gifts and the lights and everything else and say, oh, somehow that's going to change the world. No, what's going to change the world is believers in Jesus Christ filled with the power of the Holy Spirit saying, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but work through me anyway. And step into the place of witness and let God shine. Because he said he'll draw all men to himself. And we'll lift up Jesus. You see, Peter, like the other disciples, had what I think you and I would long for. Gosh, to walk with Jesus for three and a half years. I mean, to see the miracles. To see how easy it was for him to sit down and over some fish and bread just begin to lay out these truths that were eternal. I mean, that would be amazing. I've met some great men in my life that can, can capture my attention, but nobody like Jesus. They've heard it all. They've seen it all. They've been with Jesus. And Peter had been with him this whole time. But if you look back at Peter's life, there were some things Peter had with Jesus that, that didn't always lead him to the place of what we see now with Peter with the Holy Spirit. First of all, this. With Jesus, Peter had great faith, but he often had the wrong focus. He had great faith, but he often had the wrong focus. In Matthew 14, you're familiar with the story of Jesus walking on the water. We, we were talking about that just the other night. And he came across the water late at night. They were in a boat in the middle of a storm, and, and Jesus came and calmed everything down, and he invited the disciples to join him on the water. Now, now notice that. He didn't invite just one disciple. He invited all the disciples to join him on the water. Now, Peter, who already told you, was impetuous. Peter was quick to, to act and slow to think sometimes. Peter was like, I'm out. I mean, he just jumped out of the boat, and everybody was like, of course Peter's going to do that, right? And Peter has this experience where we are in awe. We're like, man, he walked on water. That's amazing. I don't know about you, but I can't walk on water. I tried to ski barefoot one time. That didn't go so well, but I can't walk on water. He's walking on the water with Jesus, and this is awesome. But all of a sudden, the scripture tells us that he got his eyes off of Jesus and onto his surroundings, and he sank. And Jesus had to come and rescue him, and Peter, had, he had stepped out on faith. <clears throat> Lord, if you said come, I'm coming. Can I tell you, we need faith like that, amen? But in our faith, we need to know what our focus of our faith is. Too often our faith gets focused on us and our abilities and not on Jesus and his abilities. When he took his eyes off Jesus, sorry, <clears throat> Jesus had to rescue him. And he said he'd, he'd come out in his own strength, his own ability. But what happens is this. In our own ability and our own strength, what happens is all of a sudden we'll be overwhelmed by fear. Because our own strength and our own abilities aren't enough. And he's saying Jesus had to rescue him. And you know what? It happens in us quite often. We focus on our own strength, and then we get to a hard place. We become fearful because we're afraid, that our, our, we're afraid that our strength will fail us. We get that bad report, and they say it's cancer. We get into a relational struggle that just is overwhelming. We get into uncertainty, and all of a sudden, we're overwhelmed with fear. And you know why we're overwhelmed with fear? It's because we've taken our eyes off Jesus. We said, Lord, it's okay. We've got this life. Thank you. Go away. And then in the moment where we're challenged, all of a sudden fear overwhelms us because we have great faith, but we have the wrong focus. 
But it was Jesus that said, when we are weak, then we are strong in him. I think one of the greatest secrets of the Christian life is recognizing <laughs> without him, you can do nothing. It's a simple statement, but it reminds us again and again, God, I've got to keep my eyes on the one who died for me, the one who gave his life, and the one who told me he'll be with me till the ends of the earth. He had great faith, but wrong focus. Here's another thing with Peter. With Jesus, he had great devotion, but he had wrong direction. Great devotion, man, he was committed, but the wrong direction. Matthew 16, another famous time in and the, and the story of Peter, because sometimes the New Testament feels like the story of Jesus and Peter. Uh, he was so prevalent in there. But it was a time where Jesus asked his disciples a question. He says, guys, help me out here. Who do men say I am? What's the word on the street? What, what's happening out there? And oh, they come back and they say, oh, Jesus, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say you're Elijah. Others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But no, no, Peter wasn't okay with that. He, he got up there and he says, no. He says, let me tell you who you are. He said, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And even Jesus was surprised. He's like, Peter, really? Good job. I'm changing your name, man. You were Simon. You're now Peter. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. Because that wasn't coming out of your own intellect, Peter. That was revealed to you by the Father in heaven. Great devotion, right? But then you just read the next few words in that chapter. And Jesus shares the truth. He says, hey, guys, by the way, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die, and I'm going away. And Peter pulls Jesus aside and says, nah, <laughs> hey, that's not happening. Not on my watch. You and I are a great team. We're going to change this world together. But I want to tell you something. You're not dying on my watch. What he was saying was, Jesus, I've got a better plan for your life and mine than you do. And Jesus went from saying, you are Peter upon this rock, I'll build my church. He said, get behind me, what? Come out here. Ouch. You got to know that John snickered. I mean, he had to. It's like, boy, that serves him right. He's always the one getting attention out there. Because John had a little ego problem too. But get behind me, Satan. Huh. See, Peter had given in to what so many do. He thought the whole purpose of the life of Jesus was to make Peter's life better and to bless Peter. We think the same thing sometimes. Jesus died to give us a better life. Jesus died to, to bless our life. Again, great devotion, wrong direction. I'll, I'll fill that in in just a moment. Great devotion, but the wrong direction. He was, he was all mixed up with this thought of who Jesus was. Great faith, right? But yet it was all for the wrong purpose there. Here's the third thing about Peter. With Jesus, he had great desire, but wrong actions. Great, if you wanted Peter on your team, he's the guy that's going to run through the wall, right? Every coach's greatest gift, right, is, hey, Peter, jump over. He'll jump over there. That's Peter. He had great desire, but so often his impulsiveness had the wrong actions. In fact, on the night Jesus was betrayed in Matthew 26, on the night of the crucifixion, Peter once again said, you know what, Jesus, all the rest of these turkeys may abandon you, but I will not. Only to when the guards showed up, Peter ran. It wasn't bad enough that he ran, but later we read the story that around a fire outside where Jesus was being uh, mocked and where he was giving a false trial and where he was being humiliated, uh, a maidservant said, hey, aren't you one of those guys who was following Jesus? And Peter, who, who in the one moment says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, begins to curse and say, I don't even know what you're talking about. 
And he denied Jesus three times, and we know the story, and the, the rooster crowed, and he was greatly convicted. Here's what had happened in his life. He, was, he had this great desire, but it's so often he had the wrong actions. Even later in the garden, when they showed up to arrest Jesus, instead of letting Jesus handle things, he took a sword and took off the, the ear of a, of a servant there. He was always making the wrong actions. Lastly, Peter, with Jesus, had a great salvation, but he had a wrong purpose. He had a great salvation, there's no doubt, but he had a wrong purpose. John 21, after Jesus rose from the grave, it's interesting that he was looking for one person in particular. Where's Peter? Where's Peter? He's like the little kid in your class that you just can't ignore, right? He's, a, he's the one that's got your attention, but yet Jesus had a great passion and expression of love toward Peter. He says, where's Peter? And they're like, oh, you're going to find him back down by the sea. He's gone back to fishing. And Jesus, he didn't say it out loud, but if you read the context of John 21, he was saying, seriously, I found you three and a half years ago. I changed your life. I do what I told you I'm going to do, and you went back to your old life so easily. Peter had great salvation. He had wrong purpose. You could walk away from the life I gave you that easily, Peter. I don't understand. Oh, there's other stories. You know them. There's the time that the prophet showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus allowed Peter and John to be there. And, and Peter, being Peter, he just had to say something, right? Because, I mean, here's this holy aura. I mean, God is like, oh. And Peter's like, you know what, guys? I'll build you tents. And a cloud comes over the mountain, and they all disappear. And Jesus is like, thanks, Peter. You just ran off the Old Testament. Way to go, guy. <laughs> he just had a way. There was always something going on with Peter's life. Why? He had all this. He had, he had great faith. He had great devotion. He had great desire. He had great salvation, but still he had the wrong focus, the wrong direction, the wrong actions, and chasing after the wrong purpose. And can I tell you, that is the picture of a lot of people who say they are followers of Jesus. That is, a lot, that is a picture of so many today. It's a picture of what happens when well-meaning Christians try to live the Christian life in their own power. Basically, it leads to frustration, to failure, and if there's any witness at all, it's, it's a pretty poor witness, and mostly it's no witness whatsoever. If all that Christ did for us, listen, if all that Christ did for us was to have a better life, then that cross has no reason to be up in the front of our auditorium. It, it's, a, it's a gimmick. If all Christ died for was for you and I to have a better life, then, then the Bible should be disregarded and should be replaced with a much thinner book that's just called 12 Steps to a Better Life. We can all sit around and eat cupcakes and drink coffee and talk about how great we're doing it, living a better life. But the cross forgave us of our sins. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, His life now comes into us. And His life changes us, transforms us, empowers us, quickens us. You see, Peter, he was one we could always kind of say, oh, that's just Peter. But can I tell you, the one thing he did that was so amazing that we need to do today is he did follow the words of Jesus when he said, wait. He waited with the rest of the disciples, and he was endued with power from on high. That's what took place in Peter's life. That's why he was able to stand up on that day. Oh, let me tell you, when you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean you're going to stand up and preach before 3,000, but it does mean you're going to have a boldness in your life to be a witness like you've never been before. You see, here's the difference between Peter with Jesus and now Peter with the Holy Spirit. With the Holy Spirit, Peter had great power to go with his purpose. That's what we just read in Acts 2, beginning of verse 14. Before, he was always trying to do everything in his own strength, right? He's the big fisherman. 
He's the linebacker of the disciples. He's the one that says, I got this. I'll take care of this. But it only led him back to his old life and lifestyle of failure. And now he understood that truly apart from the Lord and the Lord's strength, he could do nothing. He had great power now. His life was changed. He had great power to go with his purpose. Oh, his purpose never changed. But now he's empowered. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, your area, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth, Peter is changed because of an experience with the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's the second thing he had with the Holy Spirit. Now he has great fruit to go with his faith. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, he preached a message and 3,000 people got saved. How many know that's pretty good, right? He had great fruits to grow with his great faith. But not only salvation, because sometimes we focus always on this exterior, but I can I tell you, in his own life, in our own lives, when the Holy Spirit's empowering us, then the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow and grow and grow out of us. It is an evidence of the, of the power of the Holy Spirit more than anything else, that now we are known by our love. Oh, can we be known by our love? That, that, that's my desire for the church. Why? Because that's how they were known in the, in the New Testament. They were known by their, their, their love for one another, right? That's the fruit of the Spirit. They were known for their joy, their peace, their forbearance, their kindness, their goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And self-control. And self-control. Listen, guys, living uh, free from sin is not about your strength. It's not about your ability. Well, I'm just made better than everybody else. I don't fall for that sin. Last time someone told me that, they fell flat on their face and destroyed a lot of people. I'm above that sin. That sin doesn't tempt me. Whoa, back up. Back up. No, the only way we have self-control is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Is someone hearing this today? We need the fruit to match the gifts. We need something working in us that is not just our own strength. We need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry out this great promise that God has given us that now we are his disciples. Listen, you should be able to look at your own life if you've been a follower of Christ for any time at all and say, you know what? I'm not what I used to be. I'm not yet what I want to be, but man, I've come a long way. But here's the reality. Others that know you well should be able to say the same thing. If you're still tripping and following over the sin that so easily entangles you, something tells me you're still relying on your own strength. You're not relying on the Holy Spirit. You're not relying on the power that God has promised us. We must be recognized that the Holy Spirit is working in us by his power. Here's the third and last thing I'll say about Peter this morning, and that is he was a, now he had a great giver with the Holy Spirit to go with his gifts. Now he sees the giver of the gifts and not just the gift. Acts 2.43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Can I just confess? There are times I'm more in love with my gifts than I am with the giver of the gifts. It's reality. There's times I'd rather be recognized more for my gifts than for the one who gave them to me. And, I, and I, I can justify that. Well, God, I really want my people to you know, know the power of your word. I want to communicate it well, God. I want to be able to, to take these concepts and get it in their lives. But if I'm not careful, I'll start claiming the gifts as if something as my own instead of the very fact they came from God and God alone. You see, I have to allow the Holy Spirit to help me die to myself if God is going to be displayed through my life and the gifts are actually genuine to the point where they point people to Jesus. There's a great giver to go along with our gifts. 
In fact, the gifts are what make us effective, but we must honor and worship the giver of the gifts and not our gifts alone. Amen, Pastor Mike. That was great preaching. Man, I can't believe you said that. That's awesome. Remember, y'all whoop for Tyson. I'm just saying, a little jealous. I love him. I know he looks like a GQ poster board, but come on. So how do we apply this? How do we apply this? How do we wrap it up? It's on the screen here. The Christian life. The Christian life is more than just knowing the facts. It's learning to walk in the Spirit. Okay? We, we've kind of made this sometimes like, well, hey, if you can say all the right things, you can pray the right prayers, if you know the right statistics and the right history, yeah, you're pretty much a believer. But, but the Christian life is much more than just knowing the facts. It's learning to walk in the Spirit. Listen, Peter and the disciples, they knew the facts, and yet still Jesus said, wait, don't even go and try to be my witness until you receive power from on high. Listen, gang, if it's just about knowing the facts, then every demon is saved. Because trust me, they know the Bible better than most. Satan knows the Bible better than most. Look, every demon knows that Jesus is the Son of God. Go back and read the stories in the gospel. And Jesus had to confront some demons. They knew who he was. They knew he was the Son of God, that he died on a cross and rose from the grave. Can I tell you, let our faith be greater than the faith of demons. It's not about facts. It's about applying them into our lives and learning to walk in the Spirit. We'll say, well, Mike, what is them walking in the Spirit? And that's probably one of the harder things that people ask. What does it to mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to be led by the Spirit, right? Because in our humanity, sometimes we have a hard time distinguishing God's voice from our own voice. In fact, sometimes the voice of God sounds a whole lot like the voice of Denise in my life. You know, I mean, just there's, there's things you're like, God, is this, is this you or am I just feeling what's right here? And yet God says we are to walk by the Spirit and we do so. We don't gratify the, the sinful nature of our flesh. So I believe this, real quick, a couple of things about walking in the Spirit. I believe when you walk in the Spirit, you learn to walk in a life of repentance. You repent on our, from your life, and you stop trying to rule over your life and do it your way instead of God's way, especially in the areas where we disagree with God. Because we all have areas we disagree with God, if we're honest. But if we're walking by the Spirit, we learn to repent of those things, and we come something in the Bible, and we're like, oh, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can do that or not. Repent. God, if you put it here, then, Lord, you said you'll empower me to do it, God. If you put it here, God, you'll enable me to love my enemies, God, and to pray for them and to, and to want the best for them, God, instead of like canceling them and ghosting them and getting rid of them. It really comes down to, am I trusting God or am I trusting myself? I have people say, oh, Pastor Mike, I can never forgive them. And I say, you're right. You're absolutely right. You can never forgive them unless you allow God to work in you and God will help you to forgive them. You have a choice. Because if you don't forgive them, guess what? Now you're going to live in the bondage of the jail of your own forgiveness. Or you can trust God and let God work in you and let God work through you. Amen. There's a lot of things. We say, I just can't do it. You can't. But if you give it to God, you can. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? So if we're going to walk by the Spirit, we've got to start with repentance. I believe we walk in the Spirit and we learn to be led by the Spirit, sensing His direction when we know His Word. Remember, he told them, I will remind you of the words of Jesus. I will reveal all truth to you. Can I tell you this? He can't remind you of what you don't know. It's like in college when you're praying, God, I didn't, I didn't study for this exam. Forgive me of that, but Lord, would you please give me the answers? And I think all of heaven laughs. Well, in the same way, if we don't know the word, how do we know 
how the Spirit's leading us? Is this lining up with the Spirit? Is it, is it, is it something that would honor God? Is it something that would fulfill His commission on the earth? You know, we, just, we, we have to learn to walk into that. Because the more we walk into it, then we begin to recognize the patterns of God. Is it a voice? Is it a nudge? Is it a conviction? Or is it all the above? Yes. Because the Holy Spirit's here now. I don't have to go to a service to find the Holy Spirit, somebody. I told you we're not Holy Spirit chasers. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God said he is dwelling in us. But here's the difficulty. For many people, oh, they they have the Holy Spirit. It's the gift of salvation. But can I tell you, the Holy Spirit does not have them. That's that baptism in the Spirit. That's that release of saying, God, I'm done doing it my way. And Lord, I, I just let you release that power in me, God, because that's the only way I can really be your witness. You see, we learn to be led by the Spirit if we journey this life recognizing that we are called to be his witnesses. So in every circumstance, we walk in and say, God, what are you doing here? God, what do you want done here? I'm in a conversation with a stranger at a coffee shop, and, and instead of thinking, how can I get away from this guy? If I want to learn to be led by the Spirit, I'm saying, God, is this a moment you want me to speak into his life? God, is there a hurt he's carrying that you've put me in place to acknowledge and work in? You see, we're going to learn to walk in the Spirit when we remain in him. We walk in obedience to his word, and we live out this fully alive life, paying attention to what's happening around us and learning to discern his leading. That's my daily prayer. Maybe I'll just give this to you. You're, you can pray this prayer for you and me. I pray, God, today I need your wisdom. Because God, Mike's not so smart. God, I need your wisdom. I know, I know what I do. I got a little Peter in me. I like bulldoze things if I'm not careful, God. So, so give me wisdom. Also give me discernment. Because God, there are things that are happening in the spirit realm sometimes that I don't quite get. There are things that may look right, and they're not. And there may be things that look wrong, and I feel like I'm going to fix it, but God, you're saying it's not time. And I've got to learn to discern your timing as well as your truth. And the last thing I pray for is, God, give me your anointing. Grant me your anointing. Because your anointing multiplies my gifts. Your anointing multiplies the effectiveness. The anointing changes everything. Oh, listen, gang, in the story of Peter, can I tell you that Peter was still Peter when he was with Jesus and when he was filled with the Holy Spirit? Look, the Lord, the Holy Spirit didn't change him that much. He was always bold. He was always willing to step out in faith. He was always wanting to help. He was always ready to jump in. Now, with the Holy Spirit's empowerment, he was able to be used by God to do what he was created to do. That's what the Holy Spirit does in us. He doesn't come and change your personality. Some people are like, well, if I, give it, if I really open up the Holy Spirit, he'll change who I am. Not true. He'll use the uniqueness of you in a greater way to reveal the uniqueness of Christ. Because you will be a witness to some people I can't be. And I'll be a witness to some people you can't be. Because guess what? If Baskin Robbins have 31 flavors, God knows there's more than flavors on the earth to people that come to him in different ways. And he needs people just like you, filled with the Holy Spirit, just like me, filled with the Holy Spirit, saying, God, use the uniqueness of me, God, to reveal the uniqueness of you. And that's the last point, and that is this. The sweet spot for every Christian is to be used by the Creator for what, the, what we were created to do. Pastor Mike, what is God's will for my life? To be used by the Creator for what you were created to do. You don't need a class to teach you that. You need a heart that says, God, if you said you'll fill me with power of the Holy Spirit, then Lord, here I am. I seek you. I want you. Please do that. God, you've called me to yourself to be witnesses, God, then Lord, help me to do that. 
You see, we've been hardwired by our creator with certain gifts, strengths, and purpose. Look, I've always been this way. Sorry, mom, dad. They're in heaven now anyway. I've always been this way. I was the kid in third grade taking over the class, group project leader. Mm-mm, get out of my way. I'll organize you. I will, I will work it out because guess what? You're not going to mess up my grade. Oh, college, you want to be my friend. Group projects, I'm making an A. The rest of you turkeys I don't care about, but I'll help you out because I'm a leader. I've always been high justice. How many have a high justice kid? I'm sorry. That's a tough kid to raise. High justice. I've always been dependable. I'm, I'm the Labrador. I'll show up. I'll help you. You can count on me. I've always accepted challenges. I've tried to overcome. I've always tried to fix people and fix things. God help me. But that's how God created me. That's how I'm wired. But when I opened my life to the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, my wiring met his power. And now I'm able to live fully in his gifts and purpose and make a difference in this life that I would have never made in my own strength. That's the difference when we allow the Holy Spirit's power to come into our lives. I say it this way, we will only find fulfillment in all of this only when we stop trying to make it happen in our own strength and let the Holy Spirit empower us that now today we will magnify God through everything we do and say because it's not us, it's Him. So how do we wrap this up? I think it's simple. It all begins with the confession of Christ to say, I need you. Have you been saved? Peter was talking to all these people who were blinded. They were lost. 3,000 said, what do we do? Repent. We're going to do a whole message on repentance coming up in a few weeks. Repent. Because God's called us to salvation. Can I tell you today, God is stirring your heart. God is moving upon you because he's the one that draws you to salvation. Don't wait. Don't put it off. Don't sit back and say, I'll get to that, because you're not promised to get to that. But today's the day of salvation. Let Jesus in. If you are already saved, I would ask you, what we will see is asked of the, of the new Christians at Ephesus, and it was a simple question. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you were saved? Say, Mike, I thought we already had the Holy Spirit. Yes, it's a gift. But to my point a while ago, the baptism of the Spirit is where now the Holy Spirit has you. And he flows in your life power. And he takes those gifts and he magnifies them. He takes that desire to witness and it becomes a burning desire in you. He takes those fruit of the Spirit and all of a sudden they grow beyond what miracle grow can do. They grow to that place where you're saying, God, how in the world did I live this life, God, without you? That's the difference the Holy Spirit makes. Would you stand with me? I told the church in Albemarle on Monday night that I believe the church of Jesus Christ is in a moment of the greatest reset in my generation. What I mean by that is this. I believe people that are showing up, people that are pushing in, people that are going after God are saying, we've done it all our way. It didn't work so well. But God, today we're open to your ways. We're going to pray. We're going we're gonna to seek the power of your Holy Spirit. God, we're going to be your witnesses. God, we're going we're gonna to get into your word. God, we're not going to let a sermon be enough. We're going to study your word. And can I tell you, that's the foundation where God says, I will build my church. 
and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. So, Father, today, God, as we come to the close of this message, God, Father, it would be awesome, Lord, to have that moment of what shall we do? God, we know what to do. I've laid it out. God, you've, you've made it clear to us. Father, if we are far from you today, God, then, Lord, we need to draw near. God, we need to repent of our sin, God. We need to turn away from our way of living, God, and accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior and, and kneel to his lordship in our lives, oh God. If we are people that have been trying our best to live this Christian life, trying our best, but only walking in frustration and failure, then God, it's time. It's time to say, Holy Spirit, come. Have your way in my life. I make room for you. I give you all the room. I make room for you. I'm saved, but I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that hunger stirs in us. God, I pray that becomes a prayer in us, God. I pray even today, right now, God, Lord, we will not be satisfied this day to just go and eat chicken and watch football, God. But, Lord, we will say, God, I want more. I need more, God. And I see now you promise more. So, God, fill me. God, fill me to overflowing the power of your Spirit.